0: Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm 1, the first Psalm. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, uh, you can grab the Pew Bible right there in front of you and open up to page 617 in the Pew Bible. 617 in the Pew Bible. The Psalms are about halfway through the Bible, so if you if you have your own copy of God's Word but you're struggling to find it, just start in the middle and uh, you'll probably get Pretty close there. Uh, Psalm one, the first psalm. As you're opening up there, I want to say what a joy it is to be beginning a new uh, sermon series with you. Several years ago, uh, we did a series in Psalms called Gospel Music, so uh, which is tried to show and demonstrate the way that we can see Christ in the Psalter, in the Psalms, in Israel's songbook. And so we're doing that again. We're doing a different set of Psalms this time. Gospel Music Volume 2, uh, now with even more psalms. And so, uh, eight weeks this week instead of six weeks. So I hope I hope that this will be a blessing and joy to you. The psalms are one of the most important books in the Bible for the Christian in day-to-day life. Uh, just day-to-day life, the psalms can speak to us in so many ways, there are so many uses. But I hope that this series, maybe more than the other one even, will help you in your own reading of the Psalms. As you go to the Psalms, I hope you can go there with confidence uh, by the time we're done with this series to kind of see a picture that unfolds of what the Psalms are all about. Well, if you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The psalmist writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to you. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. perish. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning, and Father, we pray that we would be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in college, a friend of mine was getting married, and he decided what he wanted to do for his bachelor party Everybody's getting excited right now about this uh, sermon illustration. They, they're hoping it's penitence of some sort, but it's not. Uh, this is what a Baptist bachelor party's like. Uh, he decided uh, that he wanted to go backpacking for a weekend. Uh, so he picked out a section of the Appalachian Trail uh, where we were going to go backpacking uh, up uh, in Tennessee near North Carolina. None of us on the trip were avid backpackers, but we all just felt like, hey, you know, we're going to go hiking for a weekend. It's going to be great. It's a long walk in the woods, sleep in a tent at night. What is there to know? Turns out a lot. We got started in the afternoon, and uh, it was quite hot the day we started hiking here on the Appalachian Trail. None of us were avid hikers, so what we didn't realize was that this is our initial section of the trail is one of the steepest, if not the steepest, section of the entire Appalachian Trail. You, you gain about a mile in altitude and about seven miles of trail. So it's uh, very, very steep to the point that uh, I am standing straight up on the trail with my backpack on, and I can reach out and touch the trail with my hand at different times. It's so very, very steep. There's something else we didn't know about backpacking. Backpackers, especially ones on such a short trip as ours, tend to want to be as light as possible. Carry as little as possible, very minimalist sort of thing. Uh, We were anything but minimalist. Uh, We did not have a proper backpacking tent. I think somebody bought one at Walmart, and so we had different parts of the tent and different backpacks because the tent was so heavy. One guy brought a huge Tupperware container of food that he kept in his backpack filled with pork and beans, and just the heaviest stuff you can imagine. She said, what's something heavy you can take on the Appalachian Trail? We took that. So by day one, we fall down at camp, put this big, lugging, laborious tent up, totally exhausted, and we did not make it as far as we thought we were going to make it, uh, backpacking that weekend. Now, the reality is that all of us know how to walk at some level or another, all of us recognize that there's some walking that we need to do. But the reality is, as Christians, we can walk, we can hike in this life like pros, not like a bunch of rookies. Now, some of us may have to walk with a limp in the Christian life, I understand that. And, and, and some of us may struggle. Some of us may be like I was on the Appalachian Trail, struggling uh, to, to get all this junk I had brought with me up this mountain. But, brothers and sisters, I I want you to see here the picture of walking. The the picture of the way a faithful person walks with Jesus in the Word of God throughout their life. And I, I hope this series in the Psalms will show us how we can walk in God's Word, how we can walk according to what God has for us, how we can walk in His grace. And not walk like the wicked walk. We just got done studying on Wednesday nights a book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And and it depicts the Christian life as a walk, as a journey. And I think one of the most valuable tools that you can have along the way for your journey in the Christian life, one of the most valuable tools that God has given us in His Word is the Psalms. The Psalms. Psalms 1 and 2, and preached verse chapter 2 in the last series, so we don't get to do it this time. But I, I think you should read, as you read the Psalms, I think you should read Psalms 1 and 2 together. I, I think they're meant to sort of be a preface to the book of Psalms. I, I call it, uh, uh, the first two Psalms, I would call an interpretive bookend on the front of the Psalms. That is, this is an introduction to how we ought to read the Psalms. And so, Psalm 1 shows us what it looks like to be a righteous person Who's walking in the Word. And the second uh, Psalm shows us how it is that God is going to make people righteous, and that's through His Son. And so I think we ought to read all of the Psalter in light of God accomplishing His will and His work through His messianic Son. And then we'll, in our last sermon in the series, we'll look at the last three Psalms that I think are the other interpretive book end of the Psalms, the end of the Psalms, verse. Chapter 148 talks about the horn of righteousness that God has given to His people. That's a messianic image all throughout the Psalter, And in the last three Psalms, after God talks about that, are pictures of resounding praise unto God for the, for the work of His Son. So I, I want to encourage you to read the whole book of Psalms in light of this. Those who walk with the Word, in the Word, with the Son, those who kiss the Son, those who recognize the Son... Ultimately, the book of Psalms then, is a book of praise to God for those who are walking a righteous path according to the Son of God, according to the Messiah of God. In other words, just simply put, I believe, and the theme I'm going to show you in all the Psalms we look at during this, uh, during this series, I believe we can look at it like this, that they're going to help lead us to walk with Jesus in the Word. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Isn't that what we're all trying to do anyway? Walk with Jesus in the Word. So this morning, I want to show you three truths, three truths that will help you not only in this journey through the Psalms, but three truths that will help you in the journey called life. I I, want to show you three things that are true here in Psalm 1 that will help you in your own personal walk in the Word with Christ. Everybody ready? Point number one. The moment you've all been waiting for. This is the best time of the day for note takers, isn't it? Finally, we can put a Roman numeral one on the page. Number one, understand biblical blessing. Understand biblical blessing. I I believe that this word, blessing, is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. I, I, I believe this word blessing is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible, and I really think it's one of the most misunderstood words in our society. Really, what we ask ourselves when we ask ourselves, what does blessing mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What are we really asking ourselves? The question is right what does it mean to live the good life? Now, how many people do you know that are, that are trying to figure that out? Live. What does it mean to live the good life? How is it that we can be living the dream, as as some folks say? And, and, and our society asks this question. There's this whole kind of thing that goes on where people talk about hashtag blessed, you know, where they kind of almost mock the idea that people are, are uh, you know, you'll see people on Instagram or something post a picture of some luxury car, hashtag blessed. Is that is that really all that life is, though? Is that what the good life really is? consists of some people have taken the bible and they've twisted it to make it seem like anytime the bible talks about blessing it's all exclusively talking about material blessing i think that's a heresy i think it's a sinful way to teach and preach the bible so what is the good life then what is a biblical view of of blessing. Well, here in this context, when it says blessed is the man, I I think we need to recognize, first of all, that blessing, God's blessing, is based on God's grace. It's not based on something we've done. Now, I can't begin to tell you, I'm 33 years old. I've not been around that long, but just in my lifetime, I can't count on both hands the number of evangelical Christian fads that have centered around how it is we can be blessed. How can we get God to bless us? But understand something here. The Bible says, blessed is the man. The man is blessed. Blessed is the man. And it's a singular man here. This is a, this is a picture of an example of what someone who is blessed would do. You see, so often we're focused. We're focused on doing things so that we might be Blessed. The Bible's focus is those who are blessed respond in a certain way. Blessing is based on God's grace. God's blessings are not given to us based on our works. God doesn't bless you because you've prayed the prayer of Jabez, or God doesn't bless you because you read your best life now, and God doesn't bless you because because you tithe, and God doesn't bless you because you do this or, or you do that. You do those things because God has blessed you by His grace. Those are responses to what God's already done, not ways for us to earn God's favor. You see, if that's what the Bible was about, was about us doing things to get God to bless us, you know what books should not be in the Bible? Job. I'll tell you four others that shouldn't be in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Because Jesus preached a sermon on what it means to be blessed. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1, right? He did these things perfectly. And how'd that turn out for him? Well, he got crucified for us, right? And so the Bible never says that we ought to try to earn God's blessing, that there are things we do and then God promises us blessing, like like doing right by God is like carrying a rabbit foot around in our pocket, that he must bless us if we do these things. No, no, no. No, God has blessed us already by his grace, and therefore we receive that blessing and then we respond to it. What does he say? He says he delights in the law of God. To delight in the law of God, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's to receive God's grace, His word. The tree is the tree doesn't get up legs and walk and go find water. No, the tree is planted by streams of water. It's God's grace. So we need to understand blessing is based on God's grace, but also that blessing is not always material. Blessing is not always material. Sometimes it is, but it is not always material blessing. Sometimes we're obsessed with sort of the stories of the patriarchs where God blesses them materially, but God is blessing them materially in order to sustain them as a people and then one day to sustain them as a nation in order that He might bless all the nations of the earth, not with grain or cattle or goats or whatever else, not with cattle, not with wealth, but in order that He might bless all the nations of the world, how? How? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. God is sustaining His people. And so God doesn't only sustain His people through material blessings and provision. God also sustains His people in the Old Testament. Not just through material blessings, but He also sustains them through things we would see as curses. What happened to Joseph? Joseph got sold into slavery in Egypt, right? Y'all know that story? You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't a good situation. But what does Joseph say? When his brothers get nervous after their dad dies thinking that he's the only one that's kind of keeping them alive little joe went and made good in egypt and you know he could have these guys uh, eliminated if he wanted to you know what does joseph say god did this why to preserve a people To preserve a people. In order that what? In order that God might deliver his people from Egypt and make his people into a great nation. And that one day there would be a little girl named Mary who would give birth to a son named Jesus. So that all the worlds might be blessed. Blessing is not always material. Just because we do what this psalm says does not mean that we will receive material stuff. It does not mean necessarily that our life will always get better. And furthermore, blessing is not always today. Blessing is not always today. If you get down into verses 5 and 6, you'll notice as we study this psalm today that we're going to get into a future focus, something way off in the distance. Jesus' own view of blessing is rooted in the future. It's exactly what the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are trying to show us is that our view of what it means to be blessed is not always accurate. There's a future focus. Blessing is not always material. Blessing is based on grace. Blessing is not always today. And finally, blessing is ultimately in Christ. You You may say, I do all this stuff, and I've not been blessed. But my question to you is, do you really? Do we really do all the things in this psalm? Of course we don't. But we know the one who did. We know the one who is the blessed man par excellence. We know exactly why it is that Jesus began his public teaching ministry, talking about what it means to be blessed. I believe he's defining himself as the blessed man. Psalm 2 is clearly messianic, leading us to think in terms of the blessed man in Psalm 1 as identified with the Son in Psalm 2. And so, as we read this Psalms, we read all of the Psalms, I want you to understand that we must have a biblical view of blessing if we are to understand what this means. God's blessing is by His grace. God's blessing is not always material. God's blessing is not always today, and blessing is always ultimately in Jesus Christ. But furthermore, if we're to walk with Christ, in the Psalms, if we're to walk with Jesus in the Word, in our lives, not only must we understand biblical blessing, but second of all, second point this morning is this, we must reject prideful disobedience. Reject prideful disobedience. What does the Bible say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. First of all, don't walk, the Bible says, in the counsel of the wicked. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. Who are you listening to? Who who are you listening to? Who's got your ear? Let me ask you this question. What's got your ear? Now, I'm not going to get up here and do a big diatribe on whether or not you ought to watch movies or TV or whatever else. I I don't think it's all bad for Christians to enjoy the world God's given us. I don't think it's all bad to enjoy the culture around us in non-sinful and appropriate ways. I don't think it's wrong or sinful to go to concerts or to watch good film or to enjoy a good TV show, to express and enjoy art that's around us. I think those are good things. But I ask you the question, are you always looking at everything around you? Through the eyes of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ do you have a Christian worldview is the lens through which you view all these things is it the word of God or are you and maybe even inadvertently walking in the counsel of the wicked it's not hard to do in our society is it to walk in the counsel of the wicked now right now I'm going to tell you I'm, I'm going I'm not a prophet but I'm going to make a prediction right now you're probably right now thinking about somebody else that's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Oh, so-and-so. Old oh, so-and-so's been watching that news channel that I don't watch. I watch the other one, the good guy one, you know. But he's been watching that one. He's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Now, you know that, y'all understand, that's that that that's, that's got broad application. Or old or, or oh, so-and-so. He's been over there listening to this person, to that person, or whatever else. But I ask you this question. Don't think about old so-and-so for just a minute, okay? Let's think about you. What's got your ear? What is forming your mind the most in your day-to-day life? Do you think primarily in terms of a narrative that's been presented to you by something other than the Bible? Or do you think primarily in terms of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, we can easily have our minds warped by listening to and giving ear to the counsel of the wicked. The advice of those who do not agree with what God would have to say. I I would argue that this verse presents a little bit of a progression of wickedness and evil. You go from standing in the way, I mean, to walking in the counsel of the wicked. That is, I'm standing up, I'm walking, I, am kind of, I'm, I'm hearing some things, and I like, and I'm walking in that direction to a point where suddenly you've stopped walking, and now you're standing in the way of sinners. You begin to get comfortable, comfortable standing in the way of sinners, doing what sinners do. Whitney and I, and Ben and Jessica Ponder, were in uh, Portland, Oregon, just about a month ago. And uh, in Portland, you might have seen this before, there's a big wall in Portland that's painted, Keep Portland Weird. Y'all seen that before, Keep Portland Weird. Austin, Texas does that too, and I think some places will use funky or whatever else, but Portland was one of the originals Them in Austin that would say, Keep Portland Weird. And let me just tell y'all, I'm here to testify to you today, they're doing a good job of it. uh, They've uh, succeeded. You know, if you're gonna set a goal, you might as well keep it, you know what I mean? And so they have really done a good job but I think maybe Christians have something to learn from that. I think Christians need to understand it's okay to be different. You know, we find ourselves sometimes standing in the company of sinners so much that sin becomes normal. People people just kind of think it's silly, some of the things that Christians hold to and believe. You, you know, as a pastor, I get questions about stuff all the time. But one of the things I get the most questions about from from nominal christians and from from not nominal from faithful christians and from unbelievers is when there's a public display of church discipline that a church does when somebody gets kicked out of a church they get removed from membership roles because they're living in unrepentant open blatant sin and people always say you know man i can't did churches really do that so yeah churches really do that jesus told them to you know, if we, if we do a better job, I think, of church discipline over the years, and listen, I'm, I'm the last person in the world that ever wants to do that. And one, one prayer I've, I've prayed since I was in seminary is, God, please don't ever, ever let me have to do that. I don't ever want to do that. It's miserable to think of. But we can all look back to different situations where if the church had intervened in different situations, people's lives could have turned out so much differently. But we don't. Why? Because we're embarrassed. Because sinners don't understand what it means to be in church. I think we need to get bumper stickers made. Say "Keep Christians Weird." I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get a, get a big sign out front. Keep First Baptist Weird. <laughs> I'm really not, John. Don't, don't panic. It's okay to be different. And then the Bible says, "Don't." Not only should we not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, but also don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Sometimes I really am afraid that not only do we find a fear of kind of being different, but on top of that, we've just given totally in. We sit in the seat of scoffers. Sometimes Christians, I think, or people that go to church at least, think just like the world thinks. Sometimes we think just like the world thinks. Let me ask you this question. Next time you get mad about something you hear in the Bible, reading the Bible, I always say, if your Bible doesn't offend you, you might want to read it again. <laughs> It'll offend you at some point. You know, We, we don't like everything in it. But one thing I've noticed is I think Christians have lost the ability sometimes to discern between whether or not they're offended or convicted. This makes me laugh. I, I, I've not dealt with this in a long time, but over the years of my ministry, especially when I was working more primarily with young people, I'd have people come and say, why did you say that? Well, the Bible says it. Well, you know, a little junior here didn't, didn't like it. And I don't like it either. I don't like you talking about this. And, and my question would would always I'd want to ask is Are you offended or are you convicted? Because I don't know if you're if you're offended, okay, let's talk about that. I probably could have said almost anything I've ever said. I probably could have said differently. I probably could have said it in a more kind way or loving way. If it's that, if I was gruff or something like that, and I'll repent, I, I let's get we can get over that. But it, but if you're convicted, there's nothing I can do for you about conviction. Only the Spirit can do that. Only God can do that. I think sometimes Christians get mad. Now, adult Christians, don't, don't, they don't come talk to you. They just go to some other church, just disappear, you know? But, but the reality is, like, you don't ever have to have that conversation. You know, they just disappear. But here's the reality. Ask yourself the question, am I convicted or am I offended? And brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to be able to discern that, right? If God's speaking into our hearts and we just feel offended by it, we're acting just like the world acts. We're sitting in the seat of scoffers. We've come to a place where anytime time God disagrees with us, we just get mad over it. And some people huff and puff and take their ball and go to Second Baptist Church, you know? And, and, and other folks just get mad or quit coming or whatever else. But brothers and sisters, if you're convicted by God's Word, if you're convicted by the Spirit, we must respond to God. We must reject prideful disobedience. That's this picture. It's a picture of a prideful rejection of God's way of life. And here Psalm 1 is presenting to us that there really are two ways to live. One is the way of pride, where we go further and further into sin, into our own thoughts, into our own minds, into our own opinions. That's the world of offense. That's the world of I'm the center of the universe, but there's another way to live. There's another way to live, and that's the life of faith a life of trust in God, a life where you're a tree that's planted by water, a life of delight in God's Word. And that leads us to our third point this morning. Not only must we understand biblical blessing, not only must we reject prideful disobedience, but finally, we must, as Christians, if we are to walk with Jesus in His Word, we must embrace God's gracious design for our lives. Embrace God's gracious design. I just want to show you a few things here as we finish up this psalm. I love what it says in verse 2. He didn't do any of these things. He didn't walk. He didn't stand. He didn't sit with sinners. But instead, what does He do? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, who among us delights in the law? Who's ever gone 34 and 35 and been happy about it? There's never been any. I've seen y'all drive. That's why we don't have First Baptist stickers. I don't want people to know y'all go here. (laughs) Who's ever been happy about the law, though, right? Who's ever been pulled over by a cop and thought, yep, I deserve this one? Very rarely. You know, we just don't delight in laws. That's just not how we're bent. We don't delight. But why does the Bible say to delight in the law of the Lord? Now, two things I want you to understand. First of all, this doesn't mean just God's rules. This means God's word, right? Law is shorthand for what God has spoken, what God has said. But on top of that, we also recognize while we may not always delight in speed limits for us, we delight in speed limits when they're in our neighborhood, don't we? Some of us petition for more ways to slow people down in our neighborhood where our kids play. We may not always delight in speed limits for us, but we delight in guardrails. We delight in guardrails. Why? Well, they're not there. I would have gone off-roading today over off the side of Nakalula Mountain if it hadn't been for that guardrail. You know, nobody's mad about that. No, no, they're there as a blessing. God's law is there to bless us. The faithful, blessed man delights in God's Word. He delights in reading God's Word. He delights in hearing God's Word preached. He delights in singing God's Word. He delights in praying God's Word. He delights in memorizing God's Word. He delights in studying God's Word. This is the clearest picture of grace for the blessed man in this psalm is that God has spoken to us. He revealed Himself to us through His Word when He didn't have to. And so God's gracious design for the Christian is characterized by a delight in the Word, but it's also characterized by a healthy growth. Healthy growth. It's a tree. Not a weed that grows up fast, but a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its due season. And all that he does, he prospers. Now that's not that doesn't mean necessarily that you get all these material blessings, but in the context of this tree, it means as you yield fruit and prosper, you're providing things for other people. Now sometimes that's financial, sometimes that's that's other than that. But the reality is that God is using you to bless other people. A tree yields fruit for the sake of others. And in this case, I believe it's God and neighbor, those whom God has called us to love. And You contrast this with the wicked. The wicked's not a steady growing tree, but instead chaff blown by the wind. So when it comes to my Christianity, I like to see good, solid, healthy growth. I think Elvis said it well when he said, a little less talk and a lot more action. I want to see fruit. I want to see growth. But also uh, God's gracious design for the believer is characterized also by eternal hope and joy. Eternal hope and joy. This blessed man who has faith in God, who's rejected prideful disobedience, he's different than the wicked, who cannot stand before God at judgment, or who will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's a sort of picture of of the saints after they've died; those have been gathered to God, the congregation of the righteous. But instead. The wicked perishes, but it's not so, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. In other words, in our day-to-day life to our last days, from life's first breath to final cry, the great hymn says, Jesus commands my destiny. From the early days of our spiritual growth to our last days, to standing before the judgment seat of God. Jesus is in control of those who have been made righteous by Him and those who have put their faith in Him, those who are blessed by Him. And brothers and sisters, my prayer is, as you walk through this life, God will continually give you an eye toward heaven, an eye toward what He will one day make you, an eye toward the kingdom He is building. And my hope and prayer for each of us, is as this time goes on, our walk and our journey will be less of a burden and more of a blessing. I want to offer an invitation this morning. Simply put, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, in the blessed man for the first time, maybe you're having a hard time doing all this stuff because you've been trying to do it in your own strength, and you need God's grace and you need His Holy Spirit today, this altar is open to you. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a Christian. If you'll turn from your sin and repentance and turn to God, through faith in Jesus Christ, I believe He will save you today. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I've just not been living this out like I should. This altar is open to you, or if you've just got some other kind of concern, this altar is open to anyone today. And Finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You so much for Jesus Christ, and we do thank You for His gospel. And God, we pray that you would be with us today. Lord, that you would move in the hearts of those who have heard your word today. And God, we pray that you would guide us by your word and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.